Welcome to the Jeffers Brief, only on Contra Radio Network. Hey everyone, Donald Lowry here, and I'm the marketing director for Contra Radio Network. You know what helps me sleep well? Physical gold. Gold IRAs help people diversify. The best gold IRA company is Augusta Precious Metals with thousands of happy customers. Learn why Americans get gold IRAs. Get Augusta's free guide. Text CONTRA to 68592. That's C-O-N-T-R-A to 68592. Or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. That's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Hey there, Intelligentsia. John Jeffers here on the Jeffers Brief on the Contra Radio Network coming to you from the Augusta Precious Metals Studios. Yes. Okay, working on a, we're going to be uh, redoing, remodeling, if you will, the uh, the studio. Yes. Thank you, Augusta Precious Metals. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, using out a new microphone for the show today. Hope it sounds good and clear. It uh, looks real good on my monitor. But anyway, we got a lot to talk about. Many, many, many things. And not a lot of time to do it in. Now, in case you didn't know, uh, apparently the Jeffers Brief is now being carried on the Blessed Dot News Network. If I said that right, it is the baby of Jake Lane. He's a January 6th prisoner in the DC Gulag. I got, you know what? Um. He got. I had him on here once. We did an interview. It was interesting to say the least. Not bad, just interesting. So, anyways, one of the things that we were um, talking about was just how he was being treated and what's going on with him. And out of the blue, I get this message. He wants to put. Do you, would you like to have the Jeffers brief on Blessed News Network? Yes, yes, I would. So, I guess it's on there now. I have to take a look a little later. Anyway, so, true story. And I'm not sure how this is going to tie up, but I want you to know this. Back on Father's Day weekend, the wife and I went to this restaurant in Libertyville, Libertyville, Illinois. It's a well-to-do little town. I mean, it's not it's not poor, but you know they're 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 pretty well-to-do. Went downtown to the old section and we had lunch. You know, I I didn't. I, the wife says, "What do you want?" I said, "I don't care. Order whatever you want. I'll split it with you. I don't care. Whatever you know, whatever you want to do." So she orders. You know, it was just it was you know like a. Like eleven thirty, so I really wasn't hungry, but I, you know, I was like, eh, okay, I could eat. So go ahead, and she orders up two tuna fish sandwiches. Okay, not a big deal, right? And it was okay. I mean, it was, it was it's tuna fish. It's nothing to write home about, you know. <laughs> and I had a handful of potato chips on the side, and I think we both had uh, some uh, iced tea with it. Okay, that was the extent of it. We get the bill, and I just happened 
Then I said, well, how much do they charge us? I'm just curious. $32. And I just about went through the roof. I said, are you fucking kidding me? $32 for two, two to fifty. I said, for, for a quarter of that. For $15. Better yet, for $7.50. I bet you I could go down the street to the grocery store and get a can of tuna, a loaf of bread, a small jar of mayo, and maybe a little, uh, and, and a lemon. And I can make it for that. I was like, well, I wasn't going to bitch about it. First of all, I didn't order it knowing what it was. Then I started thinking about it. This is what $15 an hour gets you. $15 an hour. Now they expect you, the liberals expect everyone to pitch in, not only pay their fifth, to, not to pay exorbitant prices for a fucking tuna fish sandwich. Never eat there again. Obviously, they're not smart enough to tell their employees, this is what I can pay you, and if, if you don't want to work here, that's fine. You know, find another job. You could do that. It's okay. Anyway. So, 15 I I'm still living about it, as you can tell. So... You tell them, this is what I can afford to pay you. And then the servers getting $15 an hour say, we want you to tip us. No, 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 I say. And I'll tell you why. Yeah, use the excuse, we not, we're not making enough money to live off of. Okay, we, we need $15 an hour. You got your $15 an hour. You don't get to demand or strong arm me for a tip. First of all, tip is an acronym. It stands for to ensure promptness. Tip. If you're a good uh, waiter, waitress, whatever the case may be, server, I don't care what you call yourself. Sure, I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw in a tip. Don't sit there and expect me to give you a tip just because. We've all seen the videos of the knucklehead pizza drivers. Well, you got a big house. I should get more than a $5 tip. Here, I got a tip. You're not making enough money? Get another job. There's your fucking tip. Get the fuck out and take your pizza with you. There you go. And if your boss has a problem with it, have him call me. I'll be more than happy to explain to him exactly what has transpired here. That's how that goes. Now, $16 for a tuna fish sandwich. Is that really build back better? I mean, really. If you don't get the money you think you deserve, get another job. Lots of jobs out there available. Don't tell me they're not. There are. They may not be the jobs you want or the jobs you think you deserve because you deserve zero. You deserve what you make for yourself. Period. So, how's all this going to wrap up? I don't know. How's it going to segue? I don't know. But, I do know this, my friends. Things cannot continue as they 
as they have as they have been. You got that little you got the scumbag Hunter Biden, and he is he's a he's a dirtball, he's a scumbag. His father, hey, you know what they say? Does it? The acorn doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? Just saying. So, meanwhile, when you have banks that have done their job, mind you, followed federal law, mind you, and filed alerts for suspicious activity reports, like 170 of them on the Biden family, and yet Janet, Janet Yellen will not move to let you see them or why they were there. I don't think the banks are making it up. I think they're telling you the truth. They're doing what they're supposed to do. All right. So. I will notice that inflation rose 18% in the year. The real inflation rate is 18%. Not the, not that that goofy corrupt model that the government's been using and they do it to hide and protect their ass from the inflation rate being known the real one they figure if they can lie to you and you buy it you'll be angry but you won't be as angry so let me ask you this are you getting have you gotten an 18 percent pay raise in the last year I don't know anybody that has. Now, it's true I've been retired for a while, but I know how to read. And I have not heard or read anywhere anybody says they got an 18% pay raise to keep up with inflation, the cost of living. And that's basically what it is, really. Which brings me to my next point. If this is Build Back Better, do you really want it any better? No. From this guy? No. From the Democrats? No. You know, if the Democrats had any modicum of integrity, they would say, you know what? This is wrong. It sucks. We know. We get it. But instead, they keep bending you over the barrel, saying, grab your ankles. Here comes the high, hard one just for you. Hope you like it. And they keep sticking it to you. And to a certain extent, the Republicans aren't much better. They are better in some ways, and just the same as the Democrats and most of the others. They can't be trusted. They will tell you, all of the parties, the Uniparty, will tell you what you want, what they think you want to hear. But when you do the follow-up on them and say, hey, you're going to do this? Oh, they always have a reason why it hasn't been done. Oh, we can't do it. Oh, no. The bottom line is this. They're not going to impeach Biden. They are not going to go after Hunter. They have to go after Trump. They're angry at the Republican. The Washington establishment is angry at the... They're angry with the Republicans because they didn't... They didn't, you know, stick it to Trump and, you know, push him over the cliff. They didn't. Some of them did, some of them didn't. So when I hear that Mike Pence is running for president, fuck you, Mike. You obviously can't be trusted, you coward. 
Well, I couldn't do it. Sure you could. What are they going to do to you? Fire you? Please, give it a break. Not interested in your excuses. I'm not interested in a lot of excuses. And I'm far, I'm far from satisfied with the public. I don't, they send me all kinds of text messages on this thing. Oh, we have a need. We have a candidate. Yada, yada, yada. You know what? I told you in 2020, until the Republican Party learns the meaning of the word loyalty, as in loyal, as if they should have been loyal to Trump, guess what? You get nothing from me. You get nothing and like it. You lose. It's over. Not one red cent in tribute to you. And I haven't. I don't care. And I, you know, you know, they've got no problem using Trump's name to raise money, but when it comes to the man, oh no. Only a handful of uh, congressmen seem to be willing to do anything. And as for that moron Mitch McConnell, they need to swap the batteries out on that fucker. Because I'll tell you right now, he has no clue what's going on. He thinks he does. No, no, no. You've been you've been in D.C. way too long there. Time, time for you to get out. Get it. Live with the laws you have stuck the rest of us. But that's just me ranting and raving right now. So if this is Build Back Better and you haven't got an 18% pay raise and you need some extra money, I urge you, I urge you to join me on Got Backup. Have you or someone you know ever had a hard drive crash? Or maybe your cell phone or tablet died, taking all of your pictures with it. You've thought about backing up your data, but all of the plans out there cost too much money for just a little bit of storage space. Well, now there's a solution. Got backup? That's right, Got Backup will allow you to back up unlimited devices, up to six terabytes of data for only $9.97 a month. And that's not all. You can earn commissions by referring friends and family too. Got Backup is the only data storage center that allows you to earn income on your referrals. Check out Got Backup now. Log on to john-jeffers.com. That's john-jeffers.com. Log on now. Do that. Be my customer. Make some money for yourself. Doesn't hurt every little bit that you can get in. Unless, of course, you just like, if you like going to your nine to five job and trading your time for money, by God, God love you, have at it. But if you want something more, don't be afraid of success. Go to john jeffers.com. All right. Coming out of Los Angeles. Yeah, I know. Imagine that. LAPD shrinks to under 9,000 officers. That's a three decade low while current academy class has just 29 recruits as the city struggles to hire more cops. I've got an idea. Stop protesting, say defund the police. When you defund the police and you don't back your officers, instead you deal with the uh, wishy-washy politicians who will get on their knees for anybody that will vote for them, and you know what I'm talking about. Anyways, the number of officers employed by Los Angeles Police Department has fallen, and the academy continues to struggle with recruitment. 
Currently, there are 8,995 officers employed by the department, down from a record high of 9,895 officers in 2009. When then Police Chief Bill Bratton claimed there were still too few officers relative to the size and population of the city. He was correct then, he is correct now. At the time, the city's crime rate was the lowest it had been since 1956, and the number of homicides had fallen to a near four-decade low. At the end of July, there were a mere 8,967 officers employed by the department. That number has since risen by 28, following the graduation of the last police academy class. It will be several months, however, before that academy class has completed field training. Yeah, field training. So a new academy class began last week with just 29 enrollees, less than half of the number the department was hoping to recruit. Our effort is to hire 60 every four weeks, Chief Michael Moore told the Board of Police Commissioners last month. In 2009, when the department had some 1,000 more officers than it does now, the academy is graduating classes of 65 recruits. And for every new recruit to the force, there were between 12 and 15 applicants who didn't make the cut. It happens. Sometimes people just aren't ready, you know. Sometimes they're, I don't know. A lot of people don't make it. For us at the sheriff's office when I was there, they couldn't read a map. It's silly stuff like that. Anyways. So at the time, Bratton bragged that the high rejection rate led to officers and forced superior quality. The quality of officers has always been high in this organization. One of the reasons this city has been able to police with so few police officers over the years and continues to is the quality of the personnel, he said. Now Mayor Karen Bass says she would like to see the department employing 9,500 officers. The department's current budget was for roughly 9,300 officers, a number the LAPD has been struggling to hit. So this week, officers are voting on whether or not to accept the four-year employment contract that ensures a 20% raises for most officers and a higher starting salary for recruits. I would like to know how long they've been without a contract. That would that'd be interesting. Anyways, so the union that represents most city officers, the Los Angeles Police Protective League, said the hope is that the significant pay increase will help attract more candidates. In the 1990s, during the tenure of Mayor Richard uh, Reardon, the police force grew significant in part to the funds the federal government was providing to local law enforcement agencies to expand their departments. I don't think it's the federal government's job to to give you money to give them money. So, in July, Los Angeles opted to resurrect its near zero cash bail policy. Oh yeah, that's going to get people to really join, which stipulates that those who cannot afford cash bail are having their constitutional rights violated. So on October 1, virtually all defendants accused of misdemeanors or nonviolent felonies in Los Angeles County will be allowed to walk away after being cited. This will backfire. And they, right now, all the politicians are jumping out. They love it. They love it. Look, look, we're doing for you. Rah, rah, rah. Rah, rah, rah. Equality, equality, yada, yada, yada. 
first of all, life is not equal. Never has been, never will be. If it is, if you think it should be, would you please show me your equality of life contract? I would like to get the same thing. However, here, here in uh, Illinois, they've done that. It, it'll be, it's fun and games all until one of theirs, when the politicians become victims and the guys that, or the judge that ends up being the victim, their assailant gets to walk. We'll see how much they like it then. Uh, the move, that move, led hip-hop rapper 50 Cent to remark on social media that Los Angeles is finished. And he is correct. Even he knows. He's not stupid. And at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, Los Angeles County removed cash bail to aid overcrowding issues. But critics said crime had spiked as a result. That's right. And it won't spike now. No. In the downtown area, there's a 25% increase in violent crime, such as rape and murder. And in 2022, compared to 2019, that was according to the USA Today. In the Rancho Park neighborhood, there was a 114% increase in violent crime. Good Lord between 2019 and 2022, according to the data. Now, presiding Judge Samantha Jessner said, quote, a person's ability to page a large sum of money should not be the determining factor in deciding whether that person, who is presumed innocent, stays in jail before trial or is released. That money is put there to guarantee that they will show up in court. She hopes the policy will encourage defendants to return to court without the need to place them in jail. Never mind. You poor bastards in California. If you're a conservative in California, and I know that most of the conservatives live in the eastern half of the state, where the western half is all the libs and whatever disaster jungle they've, they've created, do not, please do not go to a red state. You chose this. You chose that lifestyle. You chose those values that you just have to have so much. You know what? Live with it. Don't run away from it. That's what you get. Don't want to hear about it. Now, there is something coming up here you need to understand. There's a historic Supreme Court case. And it could imperil the entire U.S. tax code. I know. I know. I get it. I get it. You're wondering what, because the media isn't talking about this yet. So what I want to do is, I got my Constitution. We, I want to read to you the 16th Amendment, what it is, what it shall be, what it was. And the reason we're going to, I want to read it to you, because I want you to understand what it is they're talking about here on the 16th Amendment. And it's a pretty short amendment, and it states this, word for word, my friends. The Congress, which is the whorehouse of the world's largest whorehouse, shall have, well, okay, it doesn't say whorehouse, but that's what it is, shall have power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived, without apportionment among the several states, and without regard to any census, or enumeration. 
you go. Basically, what they're saying is Congress has the right to tax you, but the tax will be across the board the same. It will not be, well, you live in California and in, in, in New York, and you guys got more money there, so you get to pay a higher taxes as opposed, say, uh, Alabama or Louisiana or New Mexico, you know, so, which is not, not the rich states, but nonetheless, that, that's what it means. So, what are we talking about? The Supreme Court has agreed to hear one of the most important tax cases in history, which could either greenlight the constitutionality of an economically disastrous wealth tax or destroy critical parts of the U.S. tax system. We're going to take it slow, so we're all on it together. Now, unless the justices take a middle road and define the 16th Amendment according to the history and traditions of the U.S. tax system, the case will result in bad law and worse outcomes, which happens all the time. Now, the case is Moore versus the United States. It concerns the constitutionality of the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act, or the TCJA, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. The act imposed a mandatory repatriation tax on pre-2018 profits that companies and some U.S. shareholders stored abroad. Do you remember this now? Does it start to come back to you? Previously, foreign business profits went untaxed until they returned to U.S. shareholders. But under mandatory repatriation tax, passed as part of the Republicans' comprehensive international tax reform, profits were taxed even if shareholders never received the income. Now, the revenue from the mandatory tax helped raise an estimated $339 billion that contributed to offsetting other individual and corporate tax cuts as well as broader international tax reform in the 2017 tax cuts. Now the court faces a difficult question. Is this mandatory tax on foreign profits that shareholders never actually received constitutional under the 16th Amendment. The Supreme Court has maintained since 1920 that income must be, quote, clearly realized, end quote, for it to be taxable. Yet the U.S. tax code is riddled with taxes on unrealized income. For example, the main tenet of partnership tax law is that partners are taxed on income allocated to them for tax purposes, whether or not they actually receive the income. The Supreme Court upheld this principle in 1938, uh, less than three decades after the 16th Amendment was ratified. And since 1962, the United States has also tax the passive and highly mobile income of overseas corporations controlled by U.S. shareholders, whether or not the income is distributed to them, to prevent aggressive tax avoidance strategies. Now, the TCJA's mandatory repatriation tax 
fits within this existing international tax regime. As any attorney will tell you, bad facts and consequences create bad laws. Even if you have the law or the Constitution on your side, you will lose if your case leads to unacceptable outcomes. This is how unconstitutional laws are declared constitutional. Ah. Now, in more, the government is likely to win due to the irrevocable consequences of upending the current tax system. Too bad. It needs to be upended and redone properly. So, in briefing, the Justice Department focused heavily on the established constitutionality of these existing tax regimes. At oral argument, you could expect the uh, Solicitor General to highlight how a ruling that this tax is unconstitutional could destroy the partnership and international tax systems, which routinely taxes unrealized income. Justices will no doubt have these consequences in mind when they make their decisions. Now, justices are going to want to uphold tax law to avoid the disastrous consequences they've already been briefed on. But originalism and wealth tax will bar their way. The original meaning in Black Law's dictionary from 1910 claims that income must be, quote, received to be defined as such, and that any income that has not been received cannot be taxed. As much as the justices want to preserve long-standing principles of the U.S. tax system, they cannot do it without setting precedent against the original meaning of income and authorizing a wealth tax. The Supreme Court's best option to resolve this case fairly and with minimal destruction is to invoke its history and tradition test that is now using in the First and Second Amendment jurisprudence. Under this framework, a tax on unrealized income will be constitutional if it comports, if it comports with the history and tradition of the income tax code. The mandatory repatriation tax should be constitutional under this test because the U.S. has a long history of taxing unrealized gains in its international tax code, having done so since 1962. A history and tradition test would allow the Supreme Court to strike down a future wealth tax that has never been law before and preserve long-standing constitutional requirement that income be clearly realized for taxes on it to be constitutional. So, a narrow decision that invokes a history and tradition test would be the best method for the Supreme Court to preserve the current U.S. tax system and constrain lawmakers from passing new unconstitutional taxes on wealth. This was written by Travis Nix. He is a graduate of Georgetown Law School. This is from the Hill, my friends. Pretty good stuff, huh? And you, and guess what? Guess, guess what you haven't heard? The mainstream media talk about it. And you probably won't either, my friends. You probably will not. All right. Let me get a break in here, if you would, please. I would appreciate it. Hi, everyone. Donald Lowry here. And I'm the marketing director for Contra Radio Network. You know what helps me sleep well? Physical gold. Gold IRAs help people diversify. The best gold IRA company is Augusta Precious Metals. 
with thousands of happy customers. Learn why Americans get gold IRAs. Get Augusta's free guide. Text CONTRA to 68592. That's C-O-N-T-R-A to 68592. Or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. That's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. And for our national sponsor, Augusta Precious Metals, this is for you. of gold from Ennio Morricone. Yes. And I believe that was from the motion picture. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. Speaking of which, yes. You know what, my friends? I want I need you to understand something here. But sometimes at night, the idea, the thought that you get a physical gold in your possession helps you sleep a lot better. Because I'm going to tell you right now, this Build Back Better crap, it's going to collapse. When you can just start, if you can keep printing money like there's no tomorrow, and they do, and they expect you not to notice, just shut up and keep paying your taxes. That's all they want. That's all they care about. It's all going to keep falling apart. It's unsustainable what they're doing. So what else we sleep all at night? It's physical gold. I'm concerned about what the Biden administration is doing, and you know this. I decided to learn more about gold IRAs to help me diversify. You know, having it, you need to learn about gold IRAs. Did you know that you can buy gold for your IRA, your 401k account? Did you know that? And gold can't be tracked like digital currency. No one has to know what you're buying. And there's no way to print more. So my best resource for gold IRAs is Augusta Precious Metals. Their track record is no less than phenomenal. They have thousands of happy customers, and they're the absolute best. You owe it to yourself to go and see how amazing they can be for you. So learn why thousands of Americans are getting gold IRAs as part of their retirement portfolios. And don't think for a moment Democrats and liberals aren't doing the same thing. They are. Even they know this fiscal policy is a disaster. So you need to contact Augusta Precious Metals and get their free guide. I'm serious about this. Contact them. What you got to do is this. You text CONTRA to 68592. You text CONTRA, C-O-N-T-R-A, to 68592. CONTRA, 68592. How many times do I tell it to you? Do it. Or you can go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Again, that's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. You need to do this. You do. Let us get back. How about this? How about signs you're being tracked by three-letter agencies? Huh? Huh? Fergus Mason. The CIA, DIA, NSA, FBI, DHS, even the IRS. Our government employs a whole alphabet of agencies that go by three-letter abbreviations. And those agencies spend a disturbing amount of time watching what we're doing. Are they watching you? It's a sad fact that people who value preparedness and self-reliance don't always have the best relationship with the federal government, and we're not supposed to. The forefathers made that perfectly clear. Now, which often resents the fact that we don't trust it to look after us, and nor should we. The government likes people to depend on it for everything, and preppers don't and won't and will not do it. Patriots are on the same mindset. If you're a prepper 
and you've joined into discussions online, formed a local group, or done anything else that might attract the government's attention, you might be under surveillance. I know I am. Uh, but if I am, I gotta tell you this, guys. To be honestly, ain't no black helicopters circling my house. Uh, men in black ain't knocking on my door. In fact, nobody knocks on my door. <laughs> If you're under surveillance, it's vital you know this. If you're being watched and you can take steps to make sure the surveillance doesn't compromise your prepping. That's the whole point. Now, of course, you should pay attention to personal security anyway. But avoiding surveillance means taking that to a much higher level. It isn't something you want to be doing if you don't have to. So how can you spot surveillance? I'll say it right now. If you're being watched by a professional intel agency, Confirming the surveillance is going to be hard. These people have advanced equipment and are more importantly good training They put a lot of effort into not being detected by the people they're watching So if you have a difficult task ahead of you, it isn't impossible though With some effort You can detect and even evade most types of surveillance Cyber surveillance cyber surveillance most of us do a lot online now Banking, shopping, just keeping in touch with people. The internet plays a big role in our lives. That means surveillance of your online activity can tell an agency a lot about you. Automated software can build network diagrams showing your contacts. Intelligence analysts can then exploit those. Exploit those. Knowing that you're buying what you're buying can give us clues about what you're planning or flag you for a list of people, three sources that can be confiscated or weapons can be seized. Even checking a route online can tell where your, local, your bug out location is. So basic security precautions will give you a lot of protection against cyber surveillance. A virtual private network will hide your location and the IP addresses of your devices. A good firewall and anti-malware software will make it harder for agencies to access data on your computer. However, there is a real danger from Trojans. These malicious programs pretend to be something else. So you let them through your defenses. And once they're on your device, they can do a lot of harm. Trojans used by intelligence agencies include key loggers, which record every keystroke you make, and then send it to the agency that's watching you. This just won't tell them what you're saying to people. It'll also give them all of your passwords. If your security software is too strong to break through, there are also hardware keyloggers. If an agency really wants to monitor you, they can break into your home and install one. Check your PC regularly for any small pieces of hardware you don't recognize, especially a small device plugged in between the PC and the keyboard. If one of these appears, you're being watched. Hell, they can just watch me on Contra Radio Network. You don't have to do that. So bugging. Getting at you through electronic devices is the most modern way agencies will try to monitor you, but it's a long way from being the only one. Intel officers also like to use microphones and covert cameras to collect information. Technology has made these devices very small, very powerful. Using wireless technology, they can transmit real-time audio and video without needing cables. Modern batteries mean a long operational life. 
Some can't even be powered wirelessly from outside your property, giving them infinite endurance. Today's bugs and cameras are tiny and they can be extremely hard to detect. Now, you might notice signs of a subtle break-in and some, nothing seems to be missing. You should suspect that listening devices or cameras have been planted. If your home is cluttered or untidy, agents might leave small everyday objects like pens full of surveillance equipment concealed inside the pen. Alternately, devices can be hidden in the structure of your home. Look for signs of minor damage or patches of fresh or discolored paint that weren't there before. Surveillance gear could be concealed behind them. A skilled intruder can overcome locks and alarm systems. And that opens up your surveillance options. How about physical surveillance? The most worrying thing of all is to be under physical surveillance. To be followed wherever you go by the agents. If it's happening to you and you know about it, it's bad. If you don't know about it, it's much worse. Wherever you go, whoever you meet, and whatever you do will be known to your watchers. You need to know how to spot surveillance. The problem is, of course, surveillance trained agents have been taught to try to avoid being spotted. And forget anything you've seen in a movie. If you're being followed, it won't be a single man in a trench coat who stops in to look at shop windows whenever you do. Surveillance will be carried out by a team of four to six watchers. There'll be at least one in front, one behind, the others moving along parallel routes. Every so often they'll rotate positions so you don't notice the same person behind you all the time. And if you stop to look at a shop window, the agent behind you will just walk right past and a new one who's been paralleling you one block over will move in behind you when you start walking again. Meanwhile, the one who walked past will, will turn off at the next corner, start paralleling you while he waits to be called on in again. Because the whole team will be chatting constantly on covert radios. He'll change his appearance, he'll put on a jacket, take off his hat, put on an empty, uh, he'll have an empty shopping bag in his pocket and carry it. So to spot surveillance, you need to look beyond the obvious. Jackets or hats people are wearing. Notice things that can't be changed quickly. Focus on people's height, the way they walk. Once you're familiar with someone's gait, you can recognize them by hundreds of feet away. Mobile surveillance in cars works the same way as foot surveillance, but it's hard to change the appearance of a car. So there, there's some ideas for you. Don't say I didn't warn you, I did. Uh-huh. From the DMZ to the NATO front, this is CRN. Have you or someone you know ever had a hard drive crash? Or maybe your cell phone or tablet died, taking all of your pictures with it. You've thought about backing up your data, but all of the plans out there cost too much money for just a little bit of storage space. Well, now there's a solution. Got backup? That's right, Got Backup will allow you to back up unlimited devices, up to six terabytes of data for only $9.97 a month. And that's not all. You can earn commissions by referring friends and family too. Got Backup is the only data storage center that allows you to earn income on your referrals. Check out Got Backup now.
log on to john-jeffers.com. That's john-jeffers.com. Log on now. You're locked on to the Contra Radio Network. So you are. Let's talk about this Second American Civil War from the website 1945 by Peter uh, uh, Suchio. We've talked about this. You've thought about it. Let's discuss it. There is nothing especially civil about civil wars. They tend to be bloody and destructive conflicts where old scores are often settled at a personal level. And they still happen all over the world with millions dead as a result. So as a second American Civil War possible, there remains an argument that the United States is tragically headed for a second Civil War. This one fought over political ideology. It is seen literally as a war that could be fought between the left and right in this country. American politics turned hyper-toxic several years ago, and ever since, commentators have raised the specter of a second Civil War. No other historical parallel, it seems, captures so viscerally today's national division into two hostile camps, each convinced the other poses a mortal threat to the Republic. That's the Council on Foreign Relations noted in a piece looking at how today is not like the 1850s, which was the years leading up to the uh, Civil War. I don't even call it a Civil War. I call it war between the states. Anyway. Well, a Civil War is fought for control over, the, over a government. The war between the states was not for control over the government. It argued that we are not all that close to the same type of open conflict we witnessed 160 years ago. There are several factors at play that need to be considered. The last and hopefully only American Civil War was one of geography. Meh. The elected officials from the states that made up the Confederacy agreed to secede from the United States. Today, we may have red and blue states, but we have deep pockets of blue in the reddest of states like Texas, just as we have plenty of red counties in states like New York and California. Yet the American Civil War was unique in that it was a geographical spit, split. Rarely this has been the case. But even that does not mean we couldn't be headed toward open conflict. Our lessons from history. There is an argument to be made that democracies are less warlike than other regimes. But that fact doesn't make democracies immune from civil wars, unfortunately. Rome was famously a republic for centuries before it came to be ruled by an emperor. Yet, it attempted to conquer neighboring lands and further suffered through a series of civil wars. By contrast, the English civil wars are very much about correcting the balance between Parliament and King Charles I. A series of three wars, these led to the defeat and eventual execution of the king and the short-lived Commonwealth of England, not to be confused with the modern Commonwealth of Nations. That experiment as a republic failed, and the UK sought to see King Charles II restored to the throne. 
Moreover, the Russian Civil War didn't bring down a monarchy as many may believe. That is correct. The, the February Revolution saw the end of the dynastic rule of the Romanovs replaced by a provisional government. But its new Russian Republic was in turn overthrown by the Bolsheviks just six months later in the October Revolution, resulting in the deadly war that followed, costing millions of lives. It resulted in the creation of the Soviet Union, which itself collapsed after seven decades. Russia is hardly a model example of a successful democracy, but its situation has been much worse, and that is true. Why won't it happen here again? The Roman civil wars are essentially feuds between powerful men who literally were able to raise armies. While the English civil wars were also the result of squabbles by powerful men who essentially commanded their own armies. The Russian Civil War began as the country was mobilized for the First World War, which was going badly for Russia. Those armed soldiers in Russia just picked the side they wanted to support. None of those factors are true today. Though a violent mob stormed the U.S. Capitol in what should, would, should, well, in what should forever be seen as a dark stain on our his, nation's history, it should not. There was little chance it could have ignited a civil war despite the rhetoric that it threatened democracy. It really did not. It is highly unlikely to the, uh, to, uh, to the point of it being almost improbable that the United States Department of Defense was ready to rally behind then-President Donald Trump. Likewise, the United States maintained checks and balances that didn't exist in ancient Rome, 17th century England, or in Imperial Russia just over a century ago. The president's powers are not absolute, certainly not to the extent they were witnessed in our nations that fought such civil wars. There remains a danger that future presidents will have greater power, but even then, no one person can control the media, the intelligence community, and the military in a way to truly end democracy. The people will not rise up. There is a worry that extremists on the right, as well as some on the left, could attempt a violent overthrow. But as knucklehead Joe Biden has noted, they're going to need more than an AR-15. He's absolutely correct. The Spanish Civil War of the late 1930s came about due to the passage of radically reformist constitution earlier that was rejected by a large portion of the population. In Spain, it went from uh, crisis to full-blown war because a significant number of military leaders weren't on board with the direction the country was headed. The Civil War in Spain was also orchestrated by foreign outsiders who benefited from the chaos. This is why the influence from Russia and China should be seen with such great concern. It is absolutely true that we are deeply politically divided, but the question needs to be asked. How many Americans are actually ready to go and fight for their cause? Wars are messy, they're time-consuming, and uncomfortable. Marching in a protest, throwing a rock when things get out of hand, or ranting on social media about the state of the world is vastly different from manning the barricades, barricades and fighting in the trenches. We simply live in a world where people lose it when Netflix is down, and we can barely find help for the service industry. How does anyone raise an army given those and other facts? 
America simply isn't head for civil war because we're 21st century Americans. A few hotheads will continue to make trouble, and they should. And they might even be punished accordingly if they go too far. But an actual American Civil War 2.0 won't happen because we lack our conveniences just too much. While the checks and balances are in place. Instead, we are likely to remain in an uncivil war where we just do not like each other all that much. There you go. I think there's a lot of truth in there. That was written by a, a senior editor for 1945, Peter uh, Suchio. He, he's a Michigan-based writer, and he has contributed to more than four dozen magazines, newspapers, and websites with over 3,200 published pieces over a 20-year career in journalism. He regularly writes about military hardware, firearms history, cybersecurity, politics, and international fear. Uh, international affairs there you go nice now from the Brookings uh, the Brookings Institute there's this kind of interesting also I think at least I think it is let me get a break in here real quick here what's this From the DMZ to the NATO front, this is Contra Radio Network. Hey everyone, Donald Lowry here, and I'm the marketing director for Contra Radio Network. You know what helps me sleep well? Physical gold. Gold IRAs help people diversify. The best gold IRA company is Augusta Precious Metals with thousands of happy customers. Learn why Americans get gold IRAs. Get Augusta's free guide. Text CONTRA to 68592. That's C-O-N-T-R-A to 68592. Or go to com. That's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. All right. <laughs> For the Brookings Institute, they have a commentary. How seriously should we take the talk of U.S. state secession? By William Gale and Daryl West. One troubling sign of our deteriorating civic mood is the shocking breadth of support for secession in the United States. At a time of widespread polarization where people are arguing over a supposedly stolen election, vaccine mandates, mask wearing, and the reality of climate change. This was written in 2021, my friends. A September 2020 Hofstra University poll found that nearly 40% of likely voters would support state secession if their candidate loses. This was followed by a YouGov and Brightline Watch survey last June that revealed that 37% of Americans support a willingness to secede when asked, would you support or oppose your state seceding from the United States to join a new union with a list of states in the new union. Uh, support for doing this was the highest in the South and among Republicans. You see, we, we Southerners, uh, <laughs> we've been down this road. We've done it before. We'll do it again if we feel necessary. But liberals are interested too. In a July 2020 University of Virginia poll, 
41% of Biden supporters, as well as 52% of Trump supporters, were at least somewhat in agreement with the idea that it's time to split the country, favoring blue and red states seceding from the Union. Now, in that survey, two very different groups were open to such an action. Those living in conservative southern states who wanted to avoid liberal dictates from the national government, and people on the West Coast and Northeast who favored enacting legislation favored by liberal voters. If the inconceivable scenario of secession somehow came to fruition, it is an open question whether the United States would end up with two or many countries. Since political polarization plays out unevenly across the nation, one could imagine a, similar, uh, a situation similar to Europe where a number of separate entities would emerge, including a contingent of southern states, the Northeast, the Heartland, the West Coast, and rural parts of Oregon and Washington joining nearby states. The result could be a patchwork of differing nations pursuing very different policies on a variety of issues. Whoever formed the majority of the particular areas would specify COVID-19 vaccine and mask rules, adopt or oppose gun control, allow or forbid abortion, raise or lower taxes, and expand or reduce the role of government in health care. If the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade next year, as many, as many legal experts expect, see, it wasn't a surprise, and abortion laws return to the states, we will see a vivid illustration how different states handled that contentious policy area. In such a situation, it is hard to imagine what foreign or trade policy would look like. Would there be border controls between California and Nevada? Who would control nuclear weapons stored on different bases around the country? Would there be import levies on Maine blueberries or Florida oranges sent outside their regions? Would each entity have its own treaties and international agreements? Would a cancer patient have to get a visa to be treated in one of the top hospitals in Massachusetts? How would water rights between California and neighboring states be handled? And what about the enormous American military establishment? Many bases around the country across the 8.8 .8 million acres that the military administers. But a large number of installations are concentrated in the South, the Plain States, and the Rocky Mountain areas. If America splits apart and each state controls the bases within their jurisdiction, the South would end up with the most troops and the largest number of military bases. Yay. That would have enormous consequences for foreign policy within North America and around the globe. The Northeast has relatively few military bases and therefore it would be a significant competitive disadvantage from the South. That's because the North doesn't like the military. The Northeast doesn't like the military. You chose it. Live with it. In that situation, with whom would foreign allies and adversaries negotiate? Would they want to focus on the South, knowing of its strong military capabilities, or the Northeast and East Coast, where major financial institutions are headquartered? There could be conflicting incentives depending on military or financial interests were more consequential. Recognizing the benefits of military force in a fragmented geopolitical environment, some leaders are moving to develop their own units. As an illustration, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis proposed the creation of the Florida State Guard that he, not the Pentagon or the Florida National Guard, would control. He, his stated goal 
is to have the flexibility and the ability needed to respond to events in our state in the most effective way possible. And he requested $3.5 million to establish this unit, which would have 200 civilian members. Of course, the many unresolved questions and complex challenges above indicate that secession remains an unlikely scenario. We also argue in a previous fixed gov piece that while worrying factors exist, there are existing geopolitical forces keeping the country unified and limiting the chance of widespread conflict. Yet the secession's mere mention in public discourse reveals the dangers facing American democracy right now. The deeply rooted polarization that is fueling public mistrust on the other side is opening people to far-reaching possibilities that otherwise might not be considered. Ideas once considered impossible may now fall within the realm of possibility. Talk of radical solutions signals a deep discontent within the status quo and the willingness to consider outside-the-box actions. Extreme actions are moving into the mainstream in ways that are quite risky during a time of mega-chains. We should not ignore these kinds of radical ideas rather than being outside the mainstream. Such discussion may signal a future that varies wild, wildly from the recent past. Interesting, would you not say? What else have we got here? Oh, yes. Uh... From the DMZ to the NATO front, this is Contra Radio Network. Have you or someone you know ever had a hard drive crash? Or maybe your cell phone or tablet died, taking all of your pictures with it. You've thought about backing up your data, but all of the plans out there cost too much money for just a little bit of storage space. Well, now there's a solution. Got backup? That's right, Got Backup will allow you to back up unlimited devices, up to 6 terabytes of data, for only $9.97 a month. And that's not all. You can earn commissions by referring friends and family, too. Got Backup is the only data storage center that allows you to earn income on your referrals. Check out Got Backup now. Log on to john-jeffers.com. That's john-jeffers.com. Log on now. All right, my friends. Uh, Taylor Gold from America Insiders breaking a re uh, report revealing what the FBI did for the Clintons behind closed doors. Oh, yes. So, so stuff we all certainly suspected, but you never know what, what comes out later on. Now, the Clintons certainly aren't strangers to corruption and controversy. Beginning in the 1970s and 1980s, they were accused of running the Whitewater real estate investment scandal as governor of Arkansas. Bill allegedly pressured banker David Hale to provide an illegal $300,000 loan to Susan McDougall, the partner of the Clintons in the Whitewater deal. Once they arrived at the White House, the Clintons were accused of illegally firing White House travel office employees and replacing them with friends. In 1996, the Clintons were accused of illegally obtaining FBI files on political opponents. That became known as Filegate. But they were never charged with any crimes. Gee, imagine that. 
Fast forward to 2016, the Clintons are still exploiting the politicization and corruption within the FBI and the Department of Justice. The bombshell Durham report found that the FBI and DOJ relied on the lies fed to them by a Democrat-hired law firm in order to spy on the 2016 Trump campaign, which continued even after Trump was elected president. The federal agencies falsely told Americans there was evidence that President Trump's 2016 campaign coordinated with Russia to influence the election. The Durham investigation makes clear, and hear me, hear me, hear me, that Hillary Clinton and the power elite spied on the Trump campaign and White House, undermining our democracy, our republic, launching us into a new Cold War, endangering America and the world. Clinton and her warmongers must be held accountable. And that's from Tulsi Gabbard from February 15, 2022. Making matters worse, top leaders at the FBI shut down four criminal investigations into Hillary and Bill Clinton. The FBI did not dispute the findings in the Durham report. They never said that didn't happen. In 2014, a reliable source told the FBI that a foreign government planned to support and contribute to Hillary Clinton's anticipated presidential campaign as a way to gain influence with Clinton should she win the presidency, the Durham report found. An FBI field office began investigating this claim and sought a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which is a FISA, warrant. The Durham report found that the FBI was hesitant and more careful to proceed with the investigation because agents were scared of the big name, Clinton, involved. They were pretty tiptoeing around HRC because there was a chance she would be the next president, the report found. So beginning in January 2016, three different FBI field offices, the New York field office, which is useless, the Washington field office, again useless, and the Little Rock field office, open investigations into possible criminal activity involving the Clinton Foundation. The Durham report reads, the IRFO case opening communication referred to an intelligence product and corroborating financial reporting that a particular commercial industry likely engaged a federal public official in a flow of benefits scheme. Namely, large monetary contributions were made to a nonprofit under uh, both direct and indirect control of the federal public official in exchange for favorable government action and or influence, the report said. The WFO investigation was opened as a preliminary investigation because the case agent wanted to determine if he could develop additional information to corroborate the allegations in a recently published book Clinton Cash by Peter Schweitzer. Before seeking to convert the matter to a full investigation, additionally, the LRFO and the, New, the Little Rock Field Office and the New York Field Office investigations included prediction based on source reporting that identified foreign governments that had made or offered to make contributions to the foundation in exchange for favorable or preferential treatment from Clinton, the report added. Despite three separate FBI field offices receiving reliable information about possible criminal activity involving the Clinton Foundation, 
These investigations were shut down less than one year before the November 2016 presidential election. Oh, say it ain't so. Can you believe that? Oh, no. I hate when that happens. I hate it. Hate it when it happens. Oh, what are we going to do? Ridiculous. Useless. Pathetic. Dum, da, dum, dum. What else do I want to do? Do I want to do this? Yeah, okay. We'll do it. Why not? No, you know something, my friends? If you got, we're looking. We would love to have another sponsor here on Contraband Network. We got our first national sponsor, Augusta Precious Metals, and I'm grateful and gratified that they've come on board. Looking for others. I want other businesses. So if you know something, you know a business owner or a business that might be a really good fit with here at the Contra Radio Network, do me a favor, drop me an email, contraradio at live.com. Contraradio.live.com reference sponsor. And I'll get hold of Dave Kreshner over at the Lightning Round and and Don and see if we can't make something happen. So yes, we are looking for something like that. Yes, 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 yes. From the DMZ to the NATO front, this is CRN. Hi everyone, Donald Lowry here, and I'm the marketing director for Contra Radio Network. You know what helps me sleep well? Physical gold. Gold IRAs help people diversify. The best gold IRA company is Augusta Precious Metals with thousands of happy customers. Learn why Americans get gold IRAs. Get Augusta's free guide. Text CONTRA to 68592. That's C-O-N-T-R-A to 68592. Or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. That's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. All right. The simple explanation for the Democrat and media blackout on the Biden scandals. If you've been living under a rock and you don't know what I'm talking about, get with it. Wake up. If you've been following the news, you have undoubtedly noticed that some media outlets, along with a lot of Democrats, are in a total state of denial about what is unfolding around Joe and Hunter Biden. And some liberal media outlets are ignoring the news outright, while some Democrats pathetically try to spin Joe's involvement with the things Hunter did. There's a simple reason for this, guys. Admitting to any of it would implicate them too. The same goes for much of the intelligence community. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You get it now? A political consultant named Shane Harris recently wrote at the American of Mature Citizens. He writes, the national scandal is too big to break. Conservatives lurking, lurking, <laughs> looking to expose the full extent of the Biden family's corruption have a problem. The scandal might be too big to break, and it's starting to look a lot like that. Typically, there are three main entities involved in taking down a politician over a corruption scandal. First, there is the media, which broadcasts the details of the scandal, eroding public support. Second, there is law enforcement, which investigates and, if necessary, presses criminal charges. Third, 
there is the party establishment, which ultimately abandons the politician as a matter of self-preservation, signaling that it's game over. But what happens when a scandal is so big that the people responsible for breaking it are implicated in it as well? That is the situation which now faces the mainstream media, the federal intelligence bureaucracy and the Democratic Party. For years, they've all parroted Biden's lies and created an echo chamber of denial about wrongdoing by the president and his family. Now, with it all beginning to crumble around them, they're seeing that the downfall of the president spells the end of their own reputations and careers as well. And that's it in a nutshell. That's it. Do you think anyone at CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post are ever, ever going to admit that they got everything wrong? It's impossible. They can't face it. They can't even face they got the, the Russian hoax wrong, the collusion wrong. This country is suffering through its madness because these childish actors can't face the truth or admit their role in it. There you go. I mean, that's it. Think I, I'm not wrong about this. And you know I'm not. No, get rid of that. All right. There's a multi-million dollar. This is an exclusive coming out of um, Gateway Pundit. You're about to figure you're about to flip out on this one, boys and girls. Exclusive Gateway Pundit Multi Million Dollar GBI Strategies LLC. The target in the unearthed 2020 Michigan police report involving election crimes was dissolved in Tennessee in 2017. By Joe Hoft. So how does it happen? GBI Strategies and its apparent head, Gary Bell, is listed in the police report from 2020, recently uncovered by the Gateway Pundit. On October 8, 2020, a person dropped off between 8 and 10,000 completed voter registration applications in Muskegon, Michigan. City Clerk Ann Meach obviously noticed. Per a review of voter applications, it was uncovered that uh, numerous forms appear to have been completed by the same writer. Addresses on multiple forms were invalid or non-existent. Phone numbers were erroneous and signatures didn't match. On October 16th, the Muskegon Police Department was contacted and asked to investigate. October 20th, the same person brought in another 2,500 forms. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nelson's office got involved on October 21st. Two members of Attorney General Dana Nelson's Criminal Investigation Division were assigned to the operation, yet curiously, she failed to mention the investigation to the public at any time since. Michigan State Police got involved, an investigator assigned to the case spoke with the female suspect who explained that she was being paid $1,150 a week to find unregistered voters and provide them with a form so they could get registered to vote 
or obtain their absentee ballot. After documenting these crimes and investigating for weeks, the Michigan police turned their investigation over to the FBI, which promptly buried the findings. Are we surprised? We are not. This is why the FBI and the Department of Justice has failed as an institution. They are not to be trusted under any circumstances. In the report, the police named GBI Strategies as the organization running the scheme. GBI Strategies, LLC, is connected to the Biden campaign and various Democrat campaign committees. Has been in operation since 2014, was paid $1,571,386 by the Doug Jones for Senate campaign back in 2018. This group had branches across the nation. GBI Strategies was engaged in what the report suggest is, suggests is widespread systemic voter fraud in multiple locations around the state. The police found at one location, Southfield in Michigan, partially completed voter registration forms. Pelican cases in the room with semi-automatic rifles joined with suppressors and optics and customized pistols. A case with four rifles and four pistols. Dozens of new phones and hundreds of prepaid payment cards. Michigan State Senator Ruth Johnson, who was a former Secretary of State, told the Gateway Pundit, My estimate is over 800,000 ballot applications were sent to non-qualified voters in Michigan, including many individuals who moved or died, and even some individuals who were underage or non-citizens. Many were sent to people who had moved out of state. End quote. Wednesday, the Gateway Pundit followed up the report with information on the head of GBI Strategies. GBI Strategies LLC is a left-wing campaign consulting company run by Gary Bell with a mailing address in Alexandria, Virginia. A quick online search shows that GBI Strategies LLC is located in Tennessee. Gary Bell has a limited, uh, limited presence online. He keeps a low profile despite his impressive resume. According to the CompMo Group, Gary Bell manages over 70 organizing operations in 20 states and lends logistical and consulting support to another seven states. Bell also has links to a wide variety of far-left political groups, including the DSCC, the DNC, Black PAC, IBEW, and the SEIU, to name a few. A query done by the Gateway Pundit confirms that FEC filings show far-left Black PAC organizations paid GBI Strategies $11.2 million in 2020. More anomalies of GBI strategies were reported. Now, they are currently hiring employees. For a job review of Job Searcher, we know that there are current multiple owners at GBI strategies at multiple locations around the U.S. One individual who worked for GBI strategies in Flint, Michigan during the 2020 election per his LinkedIn profile is Edwin Pierre. He apparently still works as regional manager at GBI strategies. According to one business site, 
GBI Strategies, reportedly currently located at 8241 Floral Spring Drive, Cordova, Tennessee, which is outside Memphis. Gary Bell Fawcett is reported as the owner. A member of the Cordova, Tennessee location shows a house with two white vans parked in the front. Note that it was white vans that were identified on election night in Detroit containing boxes of ballots that were unloaded under the election center long after the polls had closed. These do not look like the same white vans. Eh, but why, but why two white vans at this location? Now this company reports one truck in operation and the company shows the Cordova a Tennessee address with the mailing address of 5809 Pfeiffer Drive, Alexandria, Virginia. Now 5809 Pfeiffer Drive is a duplex. Uh, it's a duplex property built in 1950. The building is uh, 896 square feet, so it's tiny. Gary Bell is associated with this address along with 40 individuals. The duplex address is the same address that GBI Strategies used when expenditures were reported by Black Pack to GBI Strategies LLC. Now we have more information and questions. The state of Tennessee shows that GBI Strategies LLC was dissolved as a going concern in the state in 2017. The more we know about global strategies, the more questions there are, and they will be asked. There you go. But wait, there's more. What else have we got here? Ah, uh, yes. A retired Seattle police officer has blasted the spineless mayor and the extremist city council in resignation letter. Good for her. Lieutenant Jessica Taylor spent 23 years working in the Seattle Police Department. She retired on August 1st and unloaded decades of pent-up frustration with the city's failed leadership and the liberal utopia that is a haven for crime and mayhem. Not to mention it's just a dirty sewage place. Taylor has gone public with her frustrations as the city struggles to hire a new police officer after years of demonization, demoralization, and physical attacks. And who can forget what the endless Antifa BLM riots have done to the city, its residents, and its first responders? Taylor joined the Jesse, the Jason Rance show, I like Jason, to discuss her raw 15-page resignation letter and how Seattle has descended into chaos. Here, let, let's take a listen. Well, hold on, this is like 15 minutes. You don't want to do that. So according to Rance, Taylor refused to fill out the exit form, which asked questions like why an officer is leaving. Who is their new employer? No, fuck you, it's none of your business. And what the officer liked most and least about working in the department. Instead, she offered Chief Adrian Diaz a 15-page resignation letter that promised an unfiltered, raw, un unapologetic description of why she made the decision to retire. The letter reads in part, Chief Diaz, let me tell you, the state of Seattle Police Department and this city is a disgrace. The toxic mix of the Seattle City Council's absurdity, the spinelessness of the mayor, the leniency of the prosecutor's office, and your failed leadership has accelerated the city's downhill slide 
straight to rock bottom. The problems were already brewing before you came on the scene, but since your arrival, it's been a free fall into anarchy and chaos. The, city, the Seattle City Council has lost touch with reality and is making decisions that defy common sense and basic logic. Their priority is playing politics and pandering to radical ideologies rather than genuinely serving the city and its residents' best interest. Their absurd policy have turned Seattle into a playground for anarchists and criminals, and they seem utterly unconcerned with the devastating consequences of their actions. If you haven't noticed, the criminals are running the city. This perfect combination of failed leadership has created a perfect storm of incompetence and chaos. It's no wonder Seattle's become a laughing stock of the nation and the globe. They are laughing about us on the international news. Aren't you embarrassed? I am. It's mortifying. The city that once prided itself on progressiveness and prosperity has now become a hotbed for crime and anarchy. It's infuriating to witness the city's downfall under the watch of a spineless mayor and a radical city council that seems more concerned with pandering to extreme ideologies than actually governing. Instead of taking divisive action to protect the city and its citizens, the mayor, KTTH Radio, disregards the rampant lawlessness of our streets. It's a disgrace to see a city leader prioritize political correctness over the safety and well-being of its people. Listen, Seattle deserves better. And it's time for a complete overhaul of the leadership that has driven this city and state into the ground. You know what? No. The people voted for this. This is a perfect case of you get what you vote for. The city council did not hide who they were. They told everybody when they were running for office who they were, what they're about, and what they want to do. They got, you know, the people voted for it. You got what you voted. You got what you voted for. You got what you deserve. So there it is. All right, my friends. Again, hey, look, we need. I would love to get some. I, I need. We need more sponsors. You want to? You know, pick a show. I don't care. You can pick two shows. The Jeffers Brief, you can pick uh, The Lightning Round. Those are two shows that originate here in the Augusta Precious Metal Studios. All the others, I, I have no control over, and I can't do that. So, oh, and, oh, if you want to, you could, yeah, you know what? Uh, the Von Hunt Show. Yes, you could sponsor that, too, if you wanted to. We can make that happen. All right, my friends, we are, we've done an hour and a half this week. I hope you enjoy it. We'll see you next week. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm John Jeffers. This is the Jeffers Brief.